Part of what we do at Loft is to tell the stories of the places where we are, where we're living, what's happening with us, so that we can pray wisely and well for each other. And so today we have a represent of Beats Veenstra, who is going to talk to us about BV. Uh, Joey, where are you? Joey Halst, everybody! Joey Halst! Got that mic, Zach? Is that good? This is your second year being an RA in the Mighty Beats Beanstra and uh, KSA Champions this year. That must be, must be noted. Uh, your RD said to me, I, I was kind of surprised. So, yeah, yeah, that's Richard though. He's kind of chill. Yeah, he's pretty mellow. So, Joy, how can we be praying for Beats Feenstra? Yeah, I'm happy to be here for Beats Feenstra tonight. And there's uh, three things we talked about um, praying for Beats Feenstra for. The first is that we will be a community of courage. Um, and that looks like courage as we move into this new year and our friendships and our relationships. Um, and courage to go beyond the surface and to ask hard questions and to not be afraid to address things that are difficult to address. Um, the second thing we wanted prayer for is peace, and peace for people who are experiencing loss, who have lost loved ones, um, and also for those who themselves are struggling with illness or know friends and family who are battling illness in this time. And the last thing we pray for is that our dorm will be one of growth, and that is growth also in relationships, um, growth in community on the floors in the dorm and as a Calvin community and then growth in our relationships with Jesus. And that is what we hope for Beats Beanstra. Awesome. That is great. Let's thank Joey. Thank you, Joey. So we'll be incorporating that into our prayers. And um, over the year, we'll hear from every dorm. We'll hear from Millcrest East. We'll hear from some off-campus things that are happening, um, houses and project neighborhood and lots of different things. So connect with Paul. Um, if we get to like April and you're like, you haven't represented my house. So we want to. So don't worry about that. Um, just a couple of volunteers. Thank you for all of the volunteers who signed up last week. It was awesome to have so many people volunteer to do coffee and cookies and greeting and dance and drama and all of that. The one area we would still love people to uh, sign up for is projection. Projection. Very key part of worship. Yeah. Shout out. Projection. Yeah. Yes. Woo. You get your reserved seat. It's very important. Um, we will train you if you don't know how to do this, um, but you just want the chair. We will train you how to do projection. So uh, if you just want a way to give back, if you think this would be a great skill for me to take when I leave Calvin to serve churches that I'll worship in the future, that'd be awesome. So connect with Paul Ryan, our chaplain for worship, Pastor Paul. Woo! Yes. If you are interested in helping with projection, that would be fantastic. All right. And now we have our offering, which is for the Community Care Fund. And that money goes to who? Yes, it goes to you. It goes to students who are in need. And so as God has blessed you, let's bless each other through the giving of our offering.
one more thing that we'll be praying for tonight. Um, I got an email from a student this weekend whose dad was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer just three weeks ago. And uh, they were hoping to be able to start chemo, but the cancer has uh, gone so rapidly that already his dad is in hospice. And so he is stepping out of classes um, and spending as much time with his dad as he can. I don't have permission yet to release his name, um, but we'll be in prayer for that family. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we do praise you, Lord God Almighty, for you have created this world in splendor. We see it all around us. We see it in the changing of seasons. We see it in the smile of a friend. We see it in how we are learning and growing stronger. We see all the ways in which your creation is beautiful and it sings back to you. We are so aware, though, of the places where creation is hurting and broken. And we think of our brother at the bedside of his father with this news that was it's only three weeks old and now he's nearing the time when he needs to say goodbye. And so, Lord, we pray that your tender mercy will surround this family, be their shield and their fortress, protect them. We pray for this person, our student, who knows the demands of school and wants to be here and yet needs to set all that aside right now. And so we pray your peace for him and for his family. If there are things that need to be said, let them say them. If there are actions that need to be taken, let them take them. And Lord, we pray that the true power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ will give them the deepest comfort that they need in this season of grief. And we thank you, God, that we do indeed come into this space tonight as people of the resurrection as people who want life, who want growth. And we pray over Beats Veenstra. We thank you for the leadership that is there. We thank you for Joey and the others who are like her, who are seeking to shape a community that is becoming more and more like you, Jesus. And for that, they've asked, Lord, for courage. For courage to have the hard conversations for courage to actually ask for what you need, for courage to call someone out when their behavior isn't what it needs to be, for courage to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. We pray too for their growth, for their growth together. We heard, Lord, this morning about unity and we think about the unity that can happen in a dorm when people are all growing together. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you fan into flame the embers that are there so that they grow up. Help them to grow up into Christ, into the full stature of Christ. And Lord, we pray for deep peace for those in Beats Veenster who are grieving, for those who are suffering from disappointments, who are uncertain about the future. 
We pray that the peace that passes all understanding will guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We thank you for Beats Feenstra. We pray for Richard and Nicole and their children. We ask a rich blessing on the storm. And we pray for our campus. We pray for all of us as we're getting into rhythms and starting to understand where things are and how things go and what will be required of us. Lord, we continue to pray for wisdom to make good choices. Calvin College is like a buffet. And it's so easy to get overextended and overinvolved to say yes to too many things and then just find out that we are frazzled and far from you. And so, Lord, early in this semester, as invitations come our way, give us the wisdom to say no to some things so that we can say yes to the best things. We pray, too, for health as a community. We know many people are suffering with colds and other things. We know many of our students have already spent time in the hospital. And so we pray for the physical healing that we need and help us to take good care of these bodies that you, Creator God, have given us. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you give. We thank you for the word that you give. And as we turn to it now, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come among us and fill our hearts and minds with what we need. Help us to be attentive to this word, that it will plant deep in us and shape and fashion us after your likeness. And we ask all of this in the powerful name of Jesus and all God's people say, amen. You have James open already? James, page 980 in your pew Bibles. We're looking at James together. Ten weeks of this. A couple of things to, uh, as you're turning or your friend is turning. Um, so there's a new Facebook page called Calvin in the Word. So like that. And there's a new Twitter, uh, also Calvin in the Word. So follow that. And this will give you updates on the Bible study and uh, new things that are happening. We want to have videos of different Bible study groups and pictures of different Bible study groups. So Calvin in the Word, go check it out. Um, we were going to do Calvin Bible study, but it was one letter too long for Twitter. <laughs> you could figure that out. Awkward. Um, so Calvin in the Word is what we're doing together, and this year we're studying the book of James. So we're doing 10 weeks on James, and today we're looking at James 1, 19 through 27. James 1, 19 through 27. James says this, You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, 
They're like those who look at themselves in a mirror, but they look at themselves and are going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious, but do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is the word of the Lord. So last week we talked about the fact that James was a person who was deeply influenced by the wisdom literature of the Jewish tradition. Deeply influenced by Ecclesiastes, by Proverbs, by the wisdom of Sirach, the wisdom of Solomon, books that are in the Apocrypha as well as in the Old Testament. He was somebody who loved wisdom. And we talked last week about the choices. You remember the choices that we had up here? The choices that we have to make. James wants us to make good choices. And part of that is not only because James immersed himself in the wisdom literature of the Jewish tradition, but also because James loved the law. The law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible that make up what Jews call the Torah. The Torah tells Jews how to live. There are 613 different laws in the Torah. And if you know anything about Judaism, you know it affects all parts of life. What is something that Jewish people cannot eat? Pork, Pork, right? So that's one thing we all know. What's one thing that Christian people cannot eat? Other people? Great answer. Great answer. We'll go with that. That's right. You cannot be a zombie and be a Christian. This is mutually exclusive. That'll be tweeted. So we all know that the Jewish law affected everything in their lives. Everything in their lives. What they ate, what they drank, how they farmed, how they managed their animals, how they cleaned up things. All of it. In fact, there's this passage from Leviticus, and the first paragraph talks about, uh, do not take vengeance on other people, for I am the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. And we're like, okay, that, that makes sense. And then the next verse says, you shall not plant two kinds of seeds next to each other in the same field. You shall not breed two different kinds of animals together. You shall not wear two different kinds of fabric at the same time. I am the Lord. And we're like, okay, the first thing about the neighbors, yep, that's good. Like, don't hold grudges, don't be vengeance, don't hate your kin, good, great, love your neighbor, love it, love it, all about it. Um, I think these are both cotton. It is, I don't know. Because the law has two big emphases. One of them is caring for people, particularly people on the margins. That's a big thing in the law. You may know that the farmers were told that they should leave the edges of their fields and the edges of their fruit trees unharvested. Why? So the poor could come after and the poor could, gre- could gather what they needed and keep their dignity. 
It was very intentional. Some people think the rule about not trimming the sides of the beard, right? You've seen this, some of you, on, on Hasidic men. They don't trim the sides of their beard. Is a way to kind of wear the reminder about don't trim the edge of the field. I know. <laughs> and the idea of not doing two things at once, like no two, two seeds in the field, no two kinds of fabric together, uh, no two kinds of animals together, was because God kept giving the people of Israel pictures of purity. You see, he said to them, I want you to be holy like I'm holy. And so every time they went through their day, they had to think about holiness. They get up in the morning, they get dressed, they're thinking about holiness. They sit down, they have breakfast, they're thinking about holiness. They go out to plant crops, they're thinking about holiness. All of the time, God wanted them to know that they were different. They were set apart, they were holy, they were pure. And you see this theme running through the book of James. Now, it can be very tempting for us as Christians to say, well, um, some of those laws really don't apply to us anymore, right? I mean, because otherwise some of us are in deep weeds right now. But James is really clear that what he is building on is not just Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, not just the Torah, but also what he has learned from Jesus. In fact, there are scholars who do this amazing comparison of what's listed out in James 2 and the Sermon on the Mount. We'll get to that. We won't go quite as deep as they do. But James 2 and the Sermon on the Mount are aligned really closely. And so anytime we are tempted to say, well, you know, James, he was a Jew, he's kind of into the law, he was kind of into obedience, and that really doesn't apply to us anymore, we need to remember that James was a follower of Jesus. And many people think that James, who wrote the book of James, was the brother of Jesus himself. And so even if he wasn't there when the Sermon on the Mount was actually spoken, he certainly heard about it, and he knew about it, and he was a leader in the early church. And it was his big heart's desire for that early church to be pure, to be faultless. And this is why he says to them, Rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness. Those are some powerful words. Rid yourselves and welcome with meekness the implanted word. You see, for James, sin was like a virus. And once it got into the community, it would spread through everything. Now, there are some actual hygienic reasons for some of the things in the law. Do you know that it's very hard to get pork if you're, you know how you have like a pig roast sometimes and it takes like all day to roast the pig, right? If you don't cook a pork to a certain temperature, it makes people sick. If you are moving, let's say you're a nomadic group of people and you're, you're walking through the wilderness for decades and time at a time, do you have a freezer compartment for your shellfish? You do not. So a lot of the things that God had built into the law were not only to remind them about purity, but also to keep them actually healthy. So sin, James says, it's like, it's like a virus. It's a contaminant that comes in and can destroy everything. So we've been hearing a lot about Ebola, right? 
this horrible virus, and it's just spreading like crazy. There was a hospital here in the States that thought, you know what, we, we need to be ready just in case. Just in case someone gets off a plane who's been in one of these countries and they're a carrier, they have no symptoms until they get here, they end up in our emergency room, we need to be ready. And so this is what they did. They, set, they did a trial and they put chocolate syrup on the gloves of the people who were going to be the first responders. And then they went through as if they had received someone who had Ebola, and they watched where the chocolate syrup went. And even though they had all these precautions in place, they were astonished because the chocolate syrup spread everywhere. The linens that they would pull after the patient was in the isolation room would be put in with other linens, which would then contaminate those linens, which would then contaminate the washing machine itself. After they were done, the medical staff would pull off their gowns like this, you know, just kind of snap them off, and the chocolate syrup would spray. They would reach down to take off their booties, and the chocolate syrup would get on their socks. And they thought, this is a matter of life and death. We need to do this better. And so they started all of these precautions. They got different gowns and different booties in a different room, and they learned how to just completely destroy all the linens and keep the person contained, and they ran it over and over and over again because it was a matter of life and death. I would like you two and you two to come up here. Stand up right here in a line. You're doing great. You won't have to say anything. You just stand there. Perfect. Lovely. James says that sin is a matter of life and death. Hold out your right hand. All I want you to do is shake hands. Are you dead? Yeah, are you dead? No, there's no sort of, my friend. There's no sort of. Are you dead? Yes. Are you dead? Are you dead? Yes. This is what sin does. Let's imagine, she would never do this, I'm sure, but let's imagine that she hears a rumor. She knows it's not true, but it's such a good rumor. And so, shake the hand again. So she tells her, and then she tells him, and then he tells him, but the rumor was actually about him. Who dies? Everybody. Or let's say, let's give you a little bit more. <laughs> let's say that he's, he's stingy. You order pizza on the floor, everybody chips in. He doesn't chip in. He doesn't think anyone will notice. You come to loft, you go to church, he doesn't pitch in. He doesn't think anybody will notice. But people start to notice, and they notice that he's kind of stingy. They notice that he's, he's not generous, he doesn't offer to buy things, and then he shakes, you know, that influences that guy who's like, well, I'm not gonna chip in for pizza next time, and then she hears about it, she's like, oh, I could save money doing that, and then all of a sudden, 
We have a community of stingy people. <laughs> Sin is like a virus, and it's a matter of life and death. This is why James says to us, you need to rid yourself, rid yourself of all rank wickedness and sordidness. Like, you can't just tolerate it, because what could you do with your hands right now? Not much except lick them, which I don't really recommend. <laughs> you may sit down. Let's thank our chocolate syrup friends. go. There's some more. All right, gentlemen, there's plenty. Okay. You just, you just share them amongst yourselves. All right. Okay. James says you need to get rid of these things. Now, some of you grew up in Christian communities where that was kind of your policy. You didn't listen to anything except Christian music. You didn't go to R-rated movies. Maybe even your church or your community or your family boycotted certain companies because of the values that they held. And then you came to Calvin College. And much to your surprise, there are bands that play here at Calvin College that are not Christian. We actually show movies here that are R-rated. And you hear these reformed people talk about things like cultural engagement and discernment and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and you're really just kind of curious about that. Yeah, share them up. Good job. Good job. You can just throw them. I got a mire bag right under there. If you're all clean up, just throw them right in the mire bag. You so want to go wash your hands right now, don't you? I know. Hang in there. So James says, we got to get rid of this stuff. Some of you grew up in cultures where that was it was, and you come to Calvin College, and they got this reform thing going on. And those of us who've grown up in a reform tradition, we're, you know, like, yeah, that's what we do. That's how we roll. Because we believe in total depravity. Total depravity. Everything's contaminated by sin. Everything's got sin over it. Deep breaths, deep cleansing breaths. <laughs> Everything's contaminated by sin. Total depravity. It's like the opposite Oprah. You've got sin, and you've got sin, and you've got sin. <laughs> Everybody's got sin, right? We're not just contaminated by it, we're carriers of it. Like, that's total depravity. And so there's this sense that we think, well, you know, I can expose myself to whatever's out there in the culture because I've already got it. And like watching some racy movie or playing a super violent video game really isn't going to have that much of an impact on me because I will discern it first. <laughs> I will discern the fact that the lyrics in this song are degrading to women. And yet, when I listen to this song, I'm able to push through that last set. And so I will intellectually discern that I will reject the part that is degrading to women, and yet I will embrace the part that allows me to achieve my goals. I will discern it up. 
I will watch this movie that pushes values that I disagree with because I know that it pushes values I disagree with and I even kind of mock the movie for the way in which it's pushing the values that I disagree with and I'm pretty sure if I keep that posture, I will not be affected by it at all. Really? As Reformed Christians, we do believe in this idea of total depravity. And we believe in the doctrine of sanctification. We believe that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives all the time to fight the virus of sin, to limit its impact in our own lives, and to limit how we impact others. Sanctification, the first part of that, sanctus, comes from the Latin word which means holy. Sanctus, sanctus, sanctus. Those of you who are in choir sing sanctus often. Holy, holy, holy. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives all the time to contain the virus, to limit its impact on us and on other people. And James says there's a great antidote to sin. There's a great something that we can take in that actually saves our lives. Did you see what it is? And welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. Welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. When we immerse ourselves in Scripture, when we are Calvin in the Word, it takes a big hit. Sin takes a big hit because it can't keep up. We limit its impact. James says when the Word gets in you, you can't help but get it out of you. That's why he says, don't just be hearers of the Word. Anybody can do that. Be doers of the word. Get engaged. Get the word in you and then get the word out of you. It's like these Gatorade commercials that used to run, right? You'd see these commercials with these athletes who are like all amazing and they're working really hard and they're punching the sack and they're running and they're falling, but oh, they're so strong. Oh, ah. And oh, look, the Gatorade, like they're bleeding blue. And now they're dripping orange. And the first time you saw this, you were like, what is happening? <laughs> Green. And then you were like, oh, it's the Gatorade. Because well, the, when the Gatorade gets in you, you become awesome. <laughs> and when you become so awesome, the Gatorade just sleeps right out of you. The Gatorade just flows right through. I've been working on this all week. Just watch, I'm going to sweat yellow. I'm not really. That is awesome. The idea is, if you take the Gatorade in you, it's going to make you awesome, and you're going to sweat awesome. That's the idea. If James had been around now, he would have totally been like, the word is the Gatorade. It's going to make you awesome. I want you to sweat the word. 
I want the word to be so in you that it sweats out of you and the virus doesn't have a chance. I'm going to be careful with that. <laughs> That's what he says. That's why he loves the law of God. Because for him, when you get the law of God in you, when it's in you, you start building up strength and you start to become more able with the Holy Spirit's power and might to repel the works of sin. And the virus gets more and more contained and more and more limited and the impact on other people lessens. That's why right away from the beginning he says, everybody, everybody, listen up, my dear people, hey, 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 you got to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because your anger does not produce God's righteousness. See, James actually believes that with the power of the Holy Spirit, we become more righteous, that things can actually happen in us. When we are living out the word, when we are doing it and not just hearing it, when it's in us, it's going to come out of us. And that's why he says, religion that is pure and undefiled has these two things. You're caring for the orphans and the widows, which were in his days the most needy people out there. You could take it off the screen now, thanks. They were the most needy people. See, if you had a husband, father figure in the home, that was your protector, that was your provider, that was your person who watched over you, and once that person was gone, you were vulnerable. They were the most vulnerable people. So you saw in the images that we ran during confession, other vulnerable people. People who are homeless. People who are struggling in school. People who are the elderly and no one visits them. Do you see how this has roots way back in the don't cut the corners of the field? Do you see how James is building on that law and making it relevant for people who want to follow Jesus? You care for the widows and the orphans. You care for the people on the margins. You lay your life down for them. And then what's the second part of a pure and undefiled religion? Unstained by the world unstained by the world. So one of the questions that God is asking us to answer tonight is this. What do you need to get rid of? I was talking with a student about this passage this week, and he said, you know, earlier this week I sat down to, to just pray and meditate on Scripture and he said, I'd been listening to music all weekend, and there was this one song that kept going through my head. And it was a vulgar song. And he said, here I am, trying to do my devotions like a good person. And what keeps going through my head is this song again and again and again. And he said, I realized as we were discussing this verse, he said, I got to get rid of that. I had a friend several years ago when Grey's Anatomy just began. Was that like, you know, 1978? I don't know. Um, when it just started, she would get together with a group of women on the night when it aired, and they would all watch Grey's Anatomy together, which is like a thing. And she realized by the end, and I can't remember if it was the first season or the second season, 
But by the end of one of the early seasons, everybody on Grey's Anatomy had slept with everybody else on Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> she was the only single woman who was in this group of friends. And she realized that watching Grey's Anatomy was affecting how she thought about her sexuality and her singleness and men. And so she had to tell her friends, I'm not going to come over anymore and watch Grey's Anatomy. She knew she had to get rid of it because it was a virus and it was making her sick. What do you need to get rid of? If it was as dangerous as Ebola, what if it's more dangerous? What do you need to get rid of? And then the second question God invites of us tonight is this one. What do you need to embrace? What do you need to embrace? Because that's really the language around mercifully, uh, meekly receive the word that's planted in you. There's this sense of embracing it, letting it just come right into your life. What do you need to embrace? In order for those athletes to get into that Gatorade commercial, they needed to embrace a lot of pain. Right? They were up at 5 o'clock. They were out running long things. They were doing double sets. They were pushing through. They were listening to coaches who kept telling them they could get better and work harder and do more and do another set. And they did that because they knew who they wanted to become. They wanted to become the type of athlete that could be in a Gatorade commercial. They wanted to be that type of person. And because they wanted to be that type of person, they embraced what it took to get there. What do you need to embrace? Last year, there was a floor of guys in a dorm who made a commitment every morning, Monday through Friday, they got up at 7 o'clock to pray together. They met in the coffee kitchen. Some of them would just set the alarm, they'd roll out, they'd pray, they'd go back to bed. But they were thinking, who do we want to be? Who do we want to become? We want to become the type of guys who pray for each other. So what do we have to do to make that happen? We're going to get our butts out of bed at 5 to 7, and we're going to meet in the coffee kitchen, and we're going to embrace that. Who do you want to become? At the very beginning of the year at Barnabas training, one of the barns asked me, what's your goal for the Barnabas program? Such a good question. And I said, my goal for what we do here in campus ministries and what we do here at Calvin College, my goal is that we all look more like Jesus at the end of the academic year than we did at the beginning. Now, what do we need to embrace to get there? Maybe for you, it's getting up early. Maybe for you, it's having an accountability partner who's going to help you get up early. Maybe for you, it's saying, I need some sin, I've got some sin, I've got to get rid of it, and I need to confess it. I need to move into relationships with people who actually hold me accountable and know my heart. 
I want to become more like Jesus in the sense that he cared for people who were in need. I am so self-absorbed. I just need my eyes open. I want, to, I want to embrace people who are in need. I want to pay attention to that. I want to embrace the word as James has called us to do. I want to memorize James. And we've got a group that's doing that. So if you're interested in that, let me know. What do you need to embrace in order to become the person that you want to become? And I know some of you are thinking, man, I've tried that stuff. I tried it. I did my devotions for like two days in a row, and then that was it. And anytime this kind of sermon comes, I think, well, this will be the time I can do it, and I know that I really can't. What if this time you were doing it with 700 other people? What if this time you were doing it with your entire floor? What if this time you weren't trying to do it by yourself? And what if this time you realized, hey, I am not somebody who gets up in the morning at 6 a.m. for prayer, but I would be happy to do it at 3.30. Embrace it! There's virtue in getting up early, but there's virtue in praying whenever you do it. What do you need to embrace? Embrace the reality about yourself that you either are a night person or a morning person or somewhere in between and figure it out. What do you need to embrace in order to become the person that God wants you to become? What do we need to embrace in order to become the college that God wants us to become? What do we need to get rid of? The other difference this time, too, is that you've got the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got the power of Jesus Christ himself, who took all of the sin in this world, all of the messy virus of this world, all of the stuff that coats our hands and spreads from one to another. He took all of the virus and sickness and sin of this world, and he took it to the cross and he says, guys, it's done. It's in your past. You have a new life now. You get a new start. You can do it. We're going to do this together. Get rid of what you need to get rid of and embrace what you need to embrace because I have great plans for you. Those guys who made that commitment to pray, they weren't super vocal about it. There weren't very many people who knew about it. But let me tell you that over the course of the year, I started to notice that there was a group of guys and all of them were stepping up. And then I found out why. God's got great plans for you. The word is planted deep in you. Let it come out. Get rid of what you need to get rid of and embrace what you need to embrace so that God can do a mighty work in you and on this campus. Is it in you? Will you pray with me? Our God, we give you praise and thanks that the word is indeed implanted in us. 
Help us to receive it, to receive the health that you long to give us. Help us to be doers of the word, people who act it out, who care for those who are vulnerable, who long to live an unstained life. And Lord, right now, I pray that you raise up men and women on floors and in apartments and in houses, in friendships, in dating relationships, that you raise them up so that they can have the courage to say what needs to be said, that they can grow together the way you want them to grow. And Jesus, we pray that all of us, through your amazing power, look more like you at the end of this year than we do right now. And we claim that promise in the name of Jesus and all God's people say, amen.